this is week two of our series, our uh, sermon series called Unimpressed. And in this series, we're taking a look at some of the reasons why many of the people around us are uninterested in becoming Christians. We believe that we have a message that is great news for everyone on earth. The story of Jesus and his love for us and his payment for our sins so that we can be forgiven for all the wrong that we've done and we can have a relationship with God and live with him forever in paradise. That is great news. And you don't have to earn your salvation by following a bunch of moral rules. You don't have to do penance to make yourself worthy of salvation. Jesus has already done it for you. Why doesn't that appeal to more people? Because a lot of times when we talk to people about Jesus, they're just kind of unimpressed. So there are a lot of Christians in the world, and the church is growing, but for so many people around the world, and even right here in our own city especially, when they they hear us talk about Jesus, they just kind of roll their eyes and tune out. They are unimpressed by Christianity. And one of the reasons for that is the existence of what are known as defeater beliefs. And a defeater belief is any belief, A, that if you believe it, if you believe that it's true, that it rules out some other belief, B. So, for instance, if you are some kind of a health nut who believes that sugary processed foods are unhealthy, you will not believe that Twinkies make a good snack. So your, your first belief, A, that sugary processed food is unhealthy, rules out belief B, that Twinkies are a great snack. I know this sounds crazy, but there are some people who actually believe that. But anyway, just an example. Um, or another more serious example would be if you believe, or get A, that nations should have a democratic system in which people are given the power to elect their government, that rules out belief B, that nations should be ruled by dynastic monarchs who rule based on who their parents were, as has been the case for most of human history. So that's what a defeater belief is. If you, have, if you hold a certain thing to be true, then that rules out something else. And we're going to be looking at seven defeater beliefs that if people hold these beliefs, then they are unimpressed by Jesus and Christianity. And here are the beliefs that we're going to be talking about in this series. First one is, Christians are hypocrites. This was the one that Pastor Mike preached about last week. And uh, if you missed it, you can hear it at clearwater.church or on the Clearwater Church app. But here's my take on what I think was the most important part of what Mike said about how we can address the charge of hypocrisy. Be humble. The thing that really makes this a defeater belief is when people see us as arrogant and acting like we're morally superior when we're not. So be humble. Admit your faults. And treat people with love, compassion, and empathy when they sin. Of course, there's more to it, uh, to answering this accusation of hypocrisy than that, but so you should listen to Mike's sermon if you weren't here last week um, and uh, catch up on that. Second uh, defeater belief is there cannot be only one way to God. And that is a, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's a very common belief uh, in our current culture, and it's on the rise, even, even uh, in churches. So we'll be talking about that one more today. 
Next week, we're going to talk about uh, people must have the freedom to define themselves. Then we'll be talking about uh, arguing that someone's beliefs or behaviors are wrong is diminishes them. Next defeater belief is that the Bible is just another religious text written by humans. And then people should be free to live as they see fit, as long as they don't harm anyone. And then the last one, another, another pretty big one, is if there is a God, he is loving and couldn't possibly send people to hell. So those are the defeater beliefs that we're going to be uh, talking about throughout this series. So today we're talking about the belief that there cannot be only one way to God. Now, when, when I was finishing up seminary, um, Elle and I were living in a little apartment in Chicago, and I was putting the finishing touches on my thesis and studying for my major comprehensive exams. Hannah had just been born, and I was working part-time as a youth pastor at Cumberland Baptist Church, and, uh, and I picked up a second part-time job as a server at Carson's Ribs on the corner of Wells in Ontario in downtown Chicago. And uh, as servers... Um, one of the things that we had to do at the end of our shift was we had to roll silver. And to roll silver, uh, that means that you take two forks, a knife, and a spoon, and you roll them up in a cloth napkin so that they're all ready to go for later when people come in, the silver's all ready for the next people. And uh, each of us had to roll 100 sets of silver before we went home at the end of our shift. Um, and this was often a time when we would have conversations with other servers. Um, and there were a lot of interesting people who worked at this place, and, uh, and I often got into pretty interesting conversations uh, during work, and especially uh, when we were rolling. And I remember very well one night, as I was rolling silver with another waiter, we were talking about religion, and he gave me pretty much exactly this defeater belief as his reason why he rejected Christianity. He just could not accept that good people from other religions would not be just as acceptable to God as Christians. And I remember him very specifically saying that any religion that says that Gandhi was not acceptable to God was just not an option for him. It didn't matter to him that Gandhi had expressly rejected core Christian beliefs. If Christianity wasn't broad enough to include a good man like Gandhi, then it simply wasn't acceptable to him. For him, there couldn't be just one way to God. I don't really remember exactly how I responded that night. We talked about it, uh, but I didn't persuade him. Um, but what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about some ways that you might respond to someone if you get in a conversation like that, so that you might at least soften their resistance or maybe break down this barrier to their um, acceptance of Jesus. And they will become more likely to respond to the call of God in their life. Now, I think a lot of Christians have really felt the weight of this objection, that there can't be only one way to God. And one reason for that is that we are living in a more and more pluralistic society. You know, maybe a hundred years ago or even less, we lived in a, in a society where pretty much everybody was the same religion or not religious. We didn't 
really interact much with people from other faiths. But now we're a much more diverse society, and when you actually are interacting with and you get to know someone who follows a different religion, and you see that they're actually pretty nice people, and they have a lot in common with us. And as we take a closer look at what other religions believe, we find that there's actually a lot of overlap, too, among what the different religions teach. Of course, there's differences, but for instance, we, we, uh, we see that many of the world's religions have a version of the golden rule. Due to others, of the world have them due to you, as that's an important part of the ethical teaching of many of the world's religions. And so when we see that, that there are people from other religions that also do good for the poor, give sacrificially, value the good of the many over their own good, they love their children, they want what's best for them. So it really makes us feel that weight of, but are these people really unacceptable just because they're following a different religion and not following Christianity? Won't God be broad-minded? And one response to all this that a lot of Christians have been taking to this question is, is to, to really say, is it really necessary to say that Christianity is the only way to God? Maybe we can answer the objection that there can't be only one way to God by saying, yeah, that's right. Actually, there's not only one way, and God really does accept people from other faiths. But is that a legitimate option for Christians? Can we do that? Does the Bible support that way of thinking? And how does that fit with Jesus' teaching? So let's look at some passages from the Bible to see if this is a possible answer for faithful Christians. So let's start with one of the most uh, famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So far, this section sounds like it might be pretty compatible with a, a wide view of salvation. But let's keep reading, though. It says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of of God's one and only Son. That's a pretty plain statement. Those who do not believe, that is, they have not put their faith in, the name of God's one and only Son stand condemned. But what if they believe in another similar religion that shares some theological and ethical teachings with Christianity? Well, that isn't quite the same as believing in the name of God's one and only Son, is it? Here's the last verse from that paragraph in, in John chapter 3. It says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world, but people have rejected him. A little later in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in the book of Acts, we, we have a very similar statement. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, in addition to these pretty straightforward and succinct statements that Jesus is the only way of salvation, there are other clear statements in the Bible that, that come through longer stories, and you can see the theme pretty clearly. One of those is from the second chapter of Acts, which is the story of the day of Pentecost, the same one that uh, Sabrina was talking about a little earlier. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and on the day of Pentecost, just a couple of weeks after Jesus had ascended to the Father, the apostles were all in Jerusalem, came on them as we were just hearing about. And it says this, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this, a crowd came together. So who were these people in this crowd? They were God-fearing Jews who had traveled great distances to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the biblical feast of Pentecost. Surely if there were people in the world who were acceptable to God without explicitly accepting Jesus and converting from their own religion to Christianity, it would have been these people, right? They weren't following some man-made religion. Their beliefs originated in God's messages to Moses on Mount Sinai. And they weren't casual adherents who didn't really believe. These were dedicated religious people who had traveled great distances to come and, and, and perform the, the, the sacrifices and things for the, for the religious festival so they could practice their faith. And here's what Peter says to that crowd of people. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And then he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The Bible does not treat these God-fearing Jews like they had no need to turn to Jesus. Quite the opposite. Their dedication to their ancestral religion is not at all seen as good enough to become God's eyes. They need to repent and be baptized to become Christians so that they can be saved. If anyone would have already been okay with God without turning to Jesus, it would have been these guys. And if this is the Bible's attitude toward God-fearing Jews, what do you think it would say about good Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or whatever else? Are they going to be okay because they're following their own ancestral religions? Clearly, the biblical answer is no. So if we are going to be Christians who are faithful to God's word, 
we cannot avoid the objection that there can't be only one way to God by just agreeing with the objection. The Bible teaches that there is only one way to be saved from our sins, and that is by believing in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, we've just done a very quick uh, treatment of this issue. It is a fairly complicated theological thing, and it's a, it's a thing that some people have significant resistance to. So I want to uh, say that if you're not satisfied with what I've had to say about that issue, uh, I encourage you to read this book that's on the screen up here now, uh, Four Views of Salvation in a Pluralistic World. Um, the title is on the back of your bulletin so that you can find it if you want to buy it. Um, these books, these Four Views books, they're really terrific books. Uh, what they do is they get top scholars uh, who actually hold each of these different views and each one writes the best case he can to support his own position. And then each of the other guys writes a response at the end of each chapter to what the, the first uh, guy's uh, position was. And so uh, one of the great things that I really like about these kind of books, you're not arguing against a straw man of uh, this is what people say, somebody believes. These are really top authors, top scholars who hold these different views and... Um, and you can really, if you're interact and think about uh, the topics that are presented in the book. So if you're a tr Christian and you're troubled by the exclusive claims of Jesus and you want to honestly explore the biblical data on this issue, I highly recommend picking up this book and, uh, and giving it a read. But since the Bible does teach that faith in Jesus is the only way that leads to salvation from sin, we still need to be able to respond to those who object to this aspect of Christian teaching. And uh, in addition to the personal experience of meeting nice people from various faiths, some people have real philosophical objections to the claims of absolute truth in this area. Um, some people believe that the world is like an Escher drawing. The truth is, uh, is just a matter of perspective. No truth is absolute. It all just depends on how you look at it. It's all relative. Now, the first problem with this idea that, uh, that it's all relative is that full-blown relativism is so absurd that no one actually believes it. Some people think they do, but that's because they haven't thought about it very much. Let me explain. Um, let's imagine that you have a sweet little red sports car. That's a pretty nice thing to imagine, right? And then let's imagine that you loan your sweet little red sports car to me which is another nice thing to imagine. Um, and then when I bring it back to you, it looks like this. And so I hand you the keys and I say, hey, thanks for letting me use your car. And you say, wait, uh, what happened to my car? And I say, nothing. They say, no, no, it's all smashed. And I say, no, it isn't. Uh, it's fine. No, the back end is all smashed in. Maybe from your perspective, it's all smashed in. But from the way I look at it, the car is just like new. Um, the truth is relative. It all just depends on how you look at it, right? No, nobody believes that the truth is relative in something like this. Obviously, either the car is smashed or it's not. There is no relative perspective on truth. But what if I really believed that the car wasn't smashed? Like, let's say that uh, I parked it, and then as I was walking up to your house to give you the keys, a truck ran into it and drove off, 
and, and I didn't realize that, and so I, I really believed that it was in good shape. Then would the truth be relative? No. Either the car is smashed or it's not. And whether I believe it has nothing to do with it. There's a famous quotation from popular scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson. He said, the good thing about science is that it's true whether or not you believe it. Well, what Tyson really should have said is that the great thing about truth is that it's true whether or not you believe it. Whether a particular uh, statement has anything to do with science or not is really irrelevant. Uh, but Tyson is right in saying, if something is true, it's true whether you believe it or not. And it turns out that life is not like an Escher drawing. Truth is truth, and in most cases, we can all agree that this is the case. However, for a lot of people, when it comes to statements about religion, this no longer applies. Uh, when it comes to religion, suddenly we have what is obvious when it comes to crashed cars or scientific truths is not so obvious anymore. Many people still think that there cannot be just one way to God. But it isn't because the Bible teaches that there's many ways to God, and it isn't because all truth is relative. Another reason that people reject the exclusive claims of Jesus is that they think that it is just arrogant and narrow-minded to claim that we know the truth and everyone else that we wrong. Right? So popular modern thinking says that we should respect everyone's views on religion and respect their cultural beliefs and not claim that we are right and they are wrong. And one reason that this argument has become popular is that our history shows that racism and cultural imperialism have often been associated with religion, and especially with Christianity. And we cannot deny that the gospel spread around the world along with European political, economic, and cultural imperialism that denigrated other cultures. And so in an effort to distance ourselves from that kind of racism, many have rejected the criticism of other people's cultures and religions. So for many people, to insist that Jesus is the only way to God is to endorse that same kind of mindset that we are better than you are, and our way of doing things is right, and your way of doing things is wrong, our religion is true, and your religion is false. Now, one response to this is to point out that historically, Christianity did not begin as a white European religion. It's clear that Jesus and all of his followers were Middle Eastern Jews, and that Christianity spread throughout the Middle East and into Africa and possibly into Asia, even before it ever spread into Europe. But really, for most people, that doesn't really answer their question. Uh, that doesn't address the more philosophical problem of the arrogance and narrow-mindedness of claiming to know the truth. So another way to respond to that argument is to point out that what they are proposing is actually just an alternative approach to the various religions, that we should treat them all the same and as equally valid. But in reality, this position is just as arrogant and narrow-minded as saying that there is only one true religion. And here's why. 
This argument is presenting a particular way of approaching the various religions, treating them all the same. This person is telling everyone else that their way of dealing with religions is, uh, is the correct one and that everyone else is wrong. But most people around the world do not agree with this position. In fact, most people around the world, in fact, believe that their own religion is true and that others are flawed. So the religious relativist is actually promoting a philosophy that is very much based in Western individualism and is against the beliefs of the people in the majority of the world. And so he is just as narrow-minded and arrogant as anyone else who claims that they know how we should approach all the various religions. Another problem with the position that we should treat all religions as equally valid comes when we start to consider some of the more extreme religions. For instance, historically, should we consider the worship of Molech as equally valid? Molech uh, required worshipers to sacrifice their children to an idol by burning them alive? Or how about extreme jihadist Islam that says that its followers should kill the infidels? Is that equally valid with all the other religions? Or how about uh, weird cults like the Heaven's Gate cult? Some of you might remember Heaven's Gate uh, from back in the 90s. They're a small group in California. They believed that they needed to evolve to the level of existence beyond human. And this would be accomplished by abandoning the limited vessels of their physical bodies and hitching a ride on a spaceship that was passing by the Earth, hidden in the tail of the Hale-Bopp comet, which was passing through our solar system back in 1997. So 39 followers of this cult committed suicide by eating poisoned applesauce and putting plastic bags over their heads and laying down on their bunks so that the spaceship uh, would transport them to a higher level of consciousness. And I am not making that up. You can Google it if you don't remember it. Um, is belief in heaven's gate just as valid as belief in Jesus? Should we treat all religions as equally valid? But if it's okay to say that the Heaven's Gate religion is false, then why can't we say that other religions and other beliefs are false? You see, here's the thing. Truth is truth, whether we believe it or not. And that is just as much true when it comes to matters of religion as when it comes to matters of science or sports cars. It is uh, not more narrow-minded to say that we know the truth about God than it is to say that we know the truth about whether or not the car has crashed. And the truth is that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, but again, just like we saw last week, humility is key here. We can know the truth, and we can insist that it is the truth, and we can still treat others with humility and with respect. The other thing 
what this objection doesn't really grasp is that uh, all these religions, and especially Christianity, is not, it's not just all of our various attempts to reach out to God. In fact, Christianity teaches that God reached down to us and that he made a way for us to reach him. And so when Jesus has made it's not a clear path for us, that is the path that we must take. It's not just uh, all of our various ideas about how we might reach out to God. God has reached down to us, and he's reached down to us in a very specific way. Let's pray in closing. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to grasp the truth about you and your word. I pray that you would uh, give us an extra dose of humility as we interact with people of other faiths and people who reject faith. Lord, may we be kind and loving as we stand for the truth. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.